You're listening to War for Idiots, a podcast by idiots for idiots. Um, I'm ready to record whenever you are, man. Alright, um, so, welcome back to this car studio. <laughs> much more space than last time. It is. Much more space than last time. Is it a bit time. too roomy? No, there's no such thing as too roomy. But like the, I can hear an echo, but I can't see the backseat. It's so the acoustics. Is that how you test acoustics? No, that's how you clip your fingers. <laughs> I think that's how you test acoustics. Here's a trick. Is the sound coming from the friction between your no, finger it's and finger? Or is it hitting your It's from palm? hitting your palm. Really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so that was louder. What if... We should just do an hour of clicking. <laughs> Alright, let's stop clicking Imagine in some countries where... Remember that time you did the clicks and... Um, where you're like... Beep, bop, bop. We probably just insulted a whole bunch of people with our... Yeah. <laughs> cool. You're an idiot. Alright, can we start recording? Have we uh, started recording? Let's hit record, man. Let's do this. Okay, let's go. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to another episode of WFI, also known as War for Idiots. Idiots. I am your host, Rich the Moron. And I am Mick the Moor. Now, is... I don't know. I don't know why. It's just got more so there. I'm the Moor and you're the Moron. Moron. Yeah. Okay. And, cool. uh, <laughs> and we are indeed the idiots that you've been looking for. And today we have a very exciting episode. We are talking about the classification of war. Mick, how excited are you for today? I am seven excited. Out of? Three. <laughs> That's super excited. That's twice as exciting <laughs> and a little bit more. So who are we? Well, we like to think ourselves as the Ross and Rachel of war. Yes, okay. <laughs> I am obviously... Oh, I don't know who I want to be. You can be Ross, man. I don't know who I want to be. If that's who we are, I'm definitely Rachel. <laughs> oh, did you enjoy that show? Man, I love Friends. Hey? It it's was a good show. I'm surprised at how un-PC it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, give us an example. I know, because then I have to change the rating on this show. <laughs> True. Okay. But anyway. watch Friends and just watch some of the stuff they do that would not be cool to do today. Thank you for your input, Ross. Okay, so who are we? Well, I am Rachel. We are indeed the idiots you're looking for, and we are here today to talk about war. We're going to be talking about it at, at, at a, an accessible level. When we can pronounce that word. We are not discounting the significance of war. Uh, we are making it more approachable. And today's topic is... Limited. War. Limited war, the classification of war. But before we get into the topic, let us start with a quote. Cool. All by right. a man who was known for his quotes. He was he was he was probably the most talkative movie star <laughs> ever. Man as an individual is a genius, but men in the mass form the headless monster, a great brutish idiot that goes where prodded. And that was of course the infamous Charlie Chaplin. Now, Charlie Chaplin. I don't think that was from a movie, per se. No, because he didn't talk in his in movies. movies. And I'm pretty sure he was of an era where there were silent movies. Yeah, but he... Hmm. I don't know. The he would have been around when they were talkies. Late 30s, he was still around, but I don't think he made any talkies. Except for this quote. Why don't we still call them talkies? No one calls them talkies but you. No one calls them talkies but you. But not um, call TV shows stories. A good quote. A good quote, because sometimes you think about... People that were smart, but then suddenly when you put a whole bunch of people together, their smartness suddenly dwindles and they just go the direction of the sheep. Yeah. Be the sheep is uh, is another way to look we at it. We the sheep. We the sheeple. 
So what is in a name? So today's topic um, is about classification of war and giving war a title, giving war a name, saying that this is a type of war versus that is a type of war. And this, the, the, the reason behind this episode is a bit of a backstory. So one day, Mick and I, uh, we were sitting there uh, most likely reading the dictionary, uh, probably doing very smart things. I believe I was copying out notes from the dictionary. And one of our friends or work colleagues came up to us and asked us whether we thought the Korean War was, in fact, a total war. Now, this was either right before an exam on the Korean War or right after an exam on the Korean War. That's right. And, but and I do remember a difference of opinion. There was a difference in opinion. Um, so... That is kind of going to be the, the, the foundation of what we're going to do in this in this episode, is just talk about war and its classification, and then come back to this question, was the Korean War, in fact, a total war, and sort of give our opinion based off some of the things we're going to talk about today. Um, so we're not going to answer it straight away. If you're here for a, a quick buck in the first four minutes of the episode, you're not going to get an answer for the Korean War. If you're here for a quick anything, you're probably not going to get it on this. Um, <laughs> but uh, But here we go. So... Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about how society, how history, how professionals alike like to really classify the types of war, to simplify this concept of war and to put it into categories so that they can try to understand it or try to define it or, or for a, a, a multitude of reasons. Well, we're humans. We like to put things in categories. To It's a way of ordering our thoughts, I guess. Exactly. So quick competition time. Mick, you are a very smart person. Yes. Tell me... I thought that was a competition. <laughs> Tell I, thought me, I, I thought I won by being the smart person. Tell me how many different types of war they are. Go, give me examples and I'll count them. So I'll okay. start you off. Limited war. Total war. Total war. Yep. Star Wars. Oh, so you're going, yep, go. War of Annihilation. War of Attrition. War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds. <laughs> Keep going. War of Words. <laughs> war of Words. Battle of Sexes. No, no. Back to wars. We're up to seven. Um, Counterinsurgency Wars. Counterinsurgency Wars. Really wars. Hybrid Wars. Hybrid Wars. <laughs> Yeah. Grey zone conflict. Grey zone conflict. That's like a vomit worthy. Naval wars. Naval war. Air war. Air wars. Wars in the air. Wars in the air. <laughs> um, um, there's uh, there's uh, multi-domain battle. Multi. Total. I've said total war. Total war. War of global annihilation. War. We've said global, global war. War of annihilation. So, just then, that was a lost count. I ran it's out of. Probably fingers. about five expressed twelve different ways. So. I got, yeah, around 17 that just, you know, we were sort of playing around a bit there. But off the top of our heads, we can come up with all these different labels. People like to put them. That, that war has been given. So yeah. why have these Colonial classifications war. come about? So, so Mick, tell me. Police actions. Why do you think we've got so many classifications of war? Uh, one, I think people like to give new names to old things a lot. Yep. So I think we see that with lots of different types of limited wars. People yep. will judge their current experience as new based on the context on which they're in it yes. using a historical precedent. Now, if a historical precedent varies from what they're experiencing right now, the automatic... Sorry, if what they're experiencing right now varies from the historical precedent because the history doesn't change, unless you're a visionist and we don't want to talk to you. Um, people like to contextualise it, give it a new name because if it's not the same, then they feel it's something new and it helps them break it down and try and understand it. And we see that a lot. We see a lot of people use World War One and World War Two as the definition of The war. benchmarks, yep. And if they're, if they're the benchmarks, then, well, lots of wars since then have been very different. But if you look back through history, a lot of wars since World War Two are actually very similar to 
most of the wars in the past. Absolutely. And, and this very much ties to our episode on Clausewitz's character and nature of war. Yeah, Where, very much. you know, different wars can have different characters. You know, for the, some people involved, they're in completely different battles and different wars. But if you, if you zoom that scope out holistically, they are still political objectives being met by states yeah. against states or states against uh, non-state Groups, actors. organisations using violence. Exactly right. So, so you know, that, that's one way to look at a Clausewitzian way, or, and I really like your point, where people are like, whoa, this isn't a war or the type of fighting that I have read about or have I experienced. This must be something completely different. You know, we think about yeah. counterinsurgency in Afghanistan. People yeah. are like, this is new, this is brand new, this is yeah. brand new. But counterinsurgency has been happening for at least three to four years before that. Yeah, Possibly five. I'm not wrong. At least. At least, yeah. But pos- <laughs> yeah, like the word existed definitely. <laughs> but you know, fighting non-state actors has been something that's been without the history of warfare. Well, it's been around before states. Ex- exactly right. It's, that's a really good point. So, I mean, it gets me thinking. When we classify war, are we classifying it in an objective sense or a subjective sense? I mean, to me, is it about the individual's experience in war or is it about the collective's experience in war? And and does it really matter? For example, you know, I I like to think, um, you know, something that profoundly opened my eyes when I started reading about World War One was a, a, a sentence I came across where it said, one must remember that in World War One, France was in a total war, but Britain was not. Yeah. And I was just, and it got me thinking I was like this is a really interesting way to look at war where both nations fighting with each other against a common enemy on the same ground but for both of them it was a different war but it was the same war is that an objective thing or a subjective thing Well I, I actually find that opinion very objective because it's the it's the it's the whoever I don't know who wrote that particular article but it's whoever the writer was, it was Charlie writer. Chaplin Yeah so Charlie Chaplin's viewpoint there yeah is based on him believing Britain's objectives were to maintain sovereignty of the British Isles. Yeah. But if the British objectives were to maintain the sovereignty of the British Empire, which yep. was pretty bloody big, yep. then perhaps it could be considered a total war. That's right. Was British society completely geared towards the fulfilment of the war aims? Yep. Therefore, maybe it was a total war for the yep. British. Yep. It was a total war for France because their very existence... Depended on Depended it. Depended on it. But yep. for Britain, their entire society was mobilised towards it. And, and you've, you've hit on sort of two things when we're going to talk about total war in a minute. Is total war defined by the totality of what you want to achieve, the totality of what you commit to the war, or the totality of the consequences of that war? And, and you know, we, we'll see which one of these has more weight and um, and really sort of... Did you just call me fat? Potentially. And defines war uh, for us as we go forward. So let's, let's narrow this down to two of the most commonly used, I, I would say, or two of the most yeah, thematically yeah. utilised classifications of war. And the first one is limited war. So do you want to read that internet definition of yep. limited war? So a noun, a war in which weapons used, the nations or territory involved, or the objectives pursued are restricted in some way. In particular, one in which the use of nuclear weapons is avoided. Okay. So this definition... Uh, is covering everything. The weapons, the objectives, um, and, and they talk about where it's war in which we don't want to use nuclear weapons. I mean, if you define limited war as war that we don't want to use nuclear weapons, then you could say every war in history so far has been a limited war, you know, by, by that very definition. But tell me, Mick, when you're talking about limited war, what is being limited within war? Is it the ways? Is it the means? Is it the ends? 
Or is it all three of them? Is it some of them? How do you define what a limited war is? Well, I don't define it on whether or not nuclear weapons are used. So I, I disagree with you there, Internet. Good, good one, Internet. <laughs> good one, Internet. So I think limited war, I think um, a limited war for me has to relate to both the objectives and resources with which an organisation is going to put into achieving uh, their war aim. So okay. if their objectives are limited... Uh, if they seek to defeat a state but not um, destroy an adversary. Yep. So there's a difference between Gulf War One, where they didn't seek to topple the Saddam regime, and Gulf War Two, where they completely removed the Saddam regime. Yep. So there, there are differences there um, in the objectives. Um, and the resources that go into achieving those objectives can also be limited, which is what the internet's trying to get at when they're talking about nuclear weapons, I suppose. And, and, and I really like those examples. So let's take, take Gulf War II, for example. Yeah. Um, for America going into Iraq to do a regime change from the Saddam regime, yes, yes. they were limited. They were limited in their objectives, so yep. the ends were limited. They didn't want to destroy the yep. nation. That They wanted to change its democracy. They were limited in their means and ways. They weren't doing nuclear strikes. They weren't doing A-bomb drops. They weren't wiping out populations. They were as controlled as, as you know you could be within that environment. So everything about it was limited from a sort of state-on-state state, um, conflict. But if you flip the switch, if you, you know, as a good friend of mine likes to say, if you turn that map around and look at this war from the Iraqis' perspective, was it a limited war? For Saddam Hussein, was this, in fact, a limited war? He was fighting for his survival yeah he was fighting for you know potentially what he would thought his state survival yeah if he could have launched nukes at america would he have done so as a result of this war yeah potentially um, well, he didn't have them he didn't have them well that's a bit no it's been confirmed yeah, well them. you know i mean i've read a conspiracy theory okay. um but uh but you know so so here we go so for two different states one has would define it as a limited war. One's war is probably, you know, not so limited. So let me take you back to Clausewitz. You've heard of this guy. Yeah. Um, and he has his definition of war, continuation of politics by other means. Um, do you think that when we talk about limited war, is this undermining or is this really sort of supporting that definition that Clausewitz gave us of war? Well, considering Clausewitz wrote like a whole chapter at least on limited war. Supposedly. Not supposedly. Or his wife wrote it. Um, no, it supports it. I think it does it, too. It supports it. I mean, he's yeah. The, the definition of a limited war versus what he would call an absolute war. Yeah. Um, it is not uh, alien or um, contradictory to his other definitions of war, and he provides a million definitions of war. Mm-hmm. Literally, literally, a million definitions. Literally. Um, I wonder how many sentences there are in that book. I wonder if there's Literally. a million. I'm going to count them tonight when I go home. Um, Again. <laughs> but no, it's it's completely supportive of his thing. In fact, it highlights it very, very well. I, I, I agree. And I think especially if you look at the ends that are being achieved within a conflict, what, what does that state want to achieve? And then based off the ends, defines the means, defines the ways. Yeah. You know, the politicians set the ends. So, you know, by its very nature, uh, I think Clausewitz's definition of war, continuation of politics by other means, is exactly what a limited war is. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's move on to the next one, and that is a total war. Not, total to, be, not to be confused war. with the uh, game Total War, which I've never played. Have you played it? Yeah, man, I was actually up for about Two hours after training last night, uh, Richie taught me BJ's. Um, oh my god, BJJ. Sorry, 
Um, oh, my God. Oh, I think we should just call it with a plural. But I'm going to write to Total Gracie Wars? Um, no, I was playing Rome Total War. Ah, right. On the iPad. Good it's one. Totally, Is it good? It's totally sweet. I might get it. Um, so, do you want to read this yeah. definition of Total War out for us, please? Total War. A noun. A war which is unrestricted in terms of weapons used, the territory or combatants involved, or the objectives pursued, especially in which the accepted rules of war are disregarded. So there, there we go. On the opposite end of limited war, where you're limiting your ways, ends, and means, total war is opening the floodgates to what you want to achieve within that war. Yeah. Um, you know, and as you started to hint at before, what, what you know, you talked about total war being an aggregation of a nation's resources towards the the completion of that war. Yeah. And, and, and you know, t- touch on that a bit about why you think that is the totality of war. Well, it's not that I necessarily think on that. I just, I like, I actually like the argument. So, um, because it's been used to disarm me quite a lot in debates, which okay. I guess isn't really, really hard. I'm not, I'm not that good at defending against reposts, but the, the Don't. idea of what you use to achieve a war. Yep. Um, we talked about limited war before, what the US was willing to put into the Gulf Wars to, yep. rena- to achieve their objectives. Um, but if you look at the World War One, we talk about Britain, okay? So in World War One, very different from World War Two. Mm-hmm. World War One, you know, the British Isles weren't really at threat. No. But British society was mobilised towards achieving their war aims. Yes. So the totality of the British state was directed towards achieving the war aims. In World War One. In World War One. Yep. And therefore, for that nation... That war was total because everything for that nation's political and yep. uh, civilian and cultural life at that time, everything in society was aimed at achieving their war. Achieving that war, yeah, something that we would would blow this country apart if we had to do that again. Yeah, yeah, literally. I mean, for for Australia, World War One was devastating in removing a certain demographic from um, our population. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we went from being like one of the world's highest GDPs in nineteen hundred, around about nineteen hundred, to then going through the war and just, yeah, if you want to talk about war profiteering, hi US. Um, but then you go to look at World War Two. It's a total war for Britain again, but perhaps for a different reason. Yes, mm. they were completely mobilised towards achieving their war aims. So we, they but they were also yep. at um, risk of losing the sovereignty of their nation. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and and you've hit you hit the point exactly that I wanted to get to, and that is the risk of losing that war in World War II was the loss of Britain the Empire. Yeah. And the loss of Britain the Empire means a loss of control over all its Commonwealth yep. uh, colonies, yep. which included Australia. So for yep. you know, you could argue that World War Two, as opposed to World War One, was more of a total war for Australia as well. Well we're still you know, it wasn't till nineteen forty one that we decided to ratify the Westminster uh, was it treaty where they decided that Australia could make its own laws. Like, you know, it's Exactly. Or weren't subject to British law. Sorry so you, for all so those political you, so you've hit there. two of the points there. How much of your awesome. nation's resources are going towards the totality of war is one way to look at a total war. But then you use a World War II example, whereas not only was that, but as a consequence of losing the war, they would lose their state. So is that more of a totality of war? But then I put it to you. When looking at World War II, some people would argue that, in fact, in World War II, no nation was truly at 
total, and I use my exclamation marks here, a total war because not every inch or every millimeter of their society was geared towards war. The example that, I, that I've come across is, you know, for example, they say that Britain, yes, could have lost its state if it lost the war, but they didn't have women in the front line. They didn't have children in the front line. They didn't have the hospitals evacuated and focused as, as fortifications. You know, they could have gone further. They weren't pushed right to the brink. The war was won and they still had a little bit to give. Not too much, but, you know, this, this is a, a semantics argument, perhaps, that they weren't quite at total war. And it's interesting to think because this, uh, this article that I read says that the only country that was probably the closest to total war, again, I'm using the exclamation marks, was in fact Russia. That was, you know, mobilized to complete industries. And I, and I saw an example of this when I watched an amazing documentary, series documentaries, World at War, but the one that was specific about Stalingrad, you saw these Russian women, and they said to these Russian women, okay, get in this train. The train went to the middle of nowhere, and they said, we are going to build a tank factory here. Oh, you mean we're going to build tanks? No, no, no. We are building a factory from scratch that is then going to build tanks. Like, it was a mobilization. Women fighting yeah. um, on the front line. It was, it, it, you know, to some people think that is, in fact, how you define a total war, going to the very ends of what you need to, uh, your means to achieve those ends. What are your thoughts on that? I think that article is stupid. <laughs> okay, why is that? Um, because it, it, it fails to understand that what, what actually did happen to the populations and societies. So... Uh, Mobilising your population for total war doesn't mean everyone picks up a rifle and goes and gets shot. Yep. Uh, Mobilising all your women uh, whose traditional role was in the house, taking care of the household, managing the house economics, looking after their children. Yep. All of a sudden, they're working as communicators. They're working as uh, munitions factory workers. You have yep. mobilised that part of your population. Into a different aspect Into a different of aspect of, of society to provide for the war. Uh, if you pick up a heap of your children like the British did and sail them to Australia so that they don't get killed. Mm -hmm. If you pick up a heap of your urban population and move them to rural areas so that they don't get bombed, I would argue that you've mobilised that society That's an in, interesting point in an aim of winning that war. Okay, so you, so you would counter... I wish I captured the name of this article. You would counter it by saying there was a mobilisation of those that went yep. on the front line. Yep. It was just a different type of mobilisation. Yeah, that's right. And I think, it's, it, I think it's a poor understanding of war that you think everyone actually has to be fighting. Okay, that's interesting. Now, the last topic I want to talk about for total war is this concept of war of annihilation. So do we define a total war by the totality of the destruction that we want to do on the enemy. For example, uh, would you define World War II for America as a total war based off the dropping of the A-bombs within Japan? No, 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 no. Why not? Because if America... Uh, the, the, the greatest resource commitment for America was to do a land invasion of the Japanese home islands. Okay. So they restricted their resources to two nuclear weapons yep. to use to bring about the capitulation of the Japanese. Yep. Therefore, that was a limited aim. Okay, and, and I mean, that in itself, you know, you could have a massive debate, and lots of topic of that. Mick Cook, 2017, saying that the atom bombs dropped in Japan was limiting was a limiting aim of America, which I understand your point completely, yeah. but there'll be a lot of counter-arguments to that point as well. Yeah, none that I've read. Um, <laughs> you know, Truman, Truman was very clear in his decision that dropping the nuclear weapons was saving more lives than it was taking, and therefore it was a, a limited use of resources to achieve the same aim. If he had have put divisions and divisions and divisions, especially under MacArthur, onto the Japanese home islands, then the war would have quickly become total in the amount of resources it would have consumed. But 
I think we've got to understand that as soon as America started gaining success in the Southwest Pacific, um, and you know, you look at what was happening in America in the 40s. There's there's lots of tour, there's lots of lots of life in America going on that was untouched by the war. I'm not talking about patriotically, morally. I'm talking about day to day life. Yeah. So it's very hard to say it was a total war for America. Without America, though, most of the world would have been screwed. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And and then so their ability to wage a limited war on such scale, yep, saved our bacon again. So limited war because they didn't do the land invasion, which would have cost more. So it's less resources by using this atom bomb. Yep. you know, asymmetric effect. You, you yeah. could sort of say again. Let's turn that map around from a Japanese perspective. Were they a total war? Well, you know, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You, you could say yes. Yeah, you know, they they could have seen the same act, the atom bomb, which is a limiting. Um, factor, according to you, and, and I agree with you, um, they could see that very same act as an act of total war against well, them. And, and the manner in which they surrendered, they surrendered so much of their um, sovereignty um, just to preserve the personage of the emperor. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it was seen as a total war, especially when those bombs were dropped. And this is what I love about this you know, classification of war. It, it forces you to kind of look at the same war, and in this case, the same act, but flipping that map from the, the US map to the Japan map, and it is a completely different outlook on the same act in the same war at the same time. So that's been the total war aspect of this. Uh, we have said that total war can be defined as the ways, means, or ends, um, whether you want to annihilate the enemy or not. You know, there, there is no real clear answer on this is the definition of total war. I mean, according to what we've been talking about now, there's many ways to look at it and to sort of discuss it. But there's many, many, many opinions and much debate out there. Let's point out a couple of articles that we've come across discussing this very topic. Yeah. Now, the first one is by a guy named Ian Bertram. Yeah, probably um, just Ian Bertram. Ian Bertram. Uh, yeah. The article is called The Return of Limited War. I uh, found this in real clear defense. Now, Ian talks about a cycle. He talks about a cycle within the modern day in which the results of nuclear weapons would be too high and be too horrific. And as a result of the loss that would be achieved by a total war in this day and age because of nuclear weapons, that politicians are the ones that are in fact limiting war. That war is limited as a result of the fear that we have of going into a nuclear age of sort of complete or total warfare. Um, so he's talking about it's a cycle where World War One, World War Two, total war, but now within this age we're at limited war because of the new sort of weapons we have. What are your yeah. thoughts on this one? Also, I think um, when you professionalise a military force the way a lot of Western countries have done now, um, you seek limited wars more than you seek total wars. You seek a, a smaller, uh, more capable professional force that can apply violence very quickly to achieve yep. an aim very quickly. Yep with a limitation on the resources and the amount of society uh, geared towards achieving those aims. Yeah. So I think, um, I think he's, he's kind of right in the way that he's, he's suggesting that, you know, these, these decisions about war, particularly these days, are based on political objectives, based on economics, and the goals may not be too vastly different from what they were in the past. Yep. But when the goals are measured against the cost, the the idea of whether or not the cost is too much to achieve those goals influences the politician's decision. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes in a total war, a politician doesn't have a decision other, other than how they're going to facilitate the, 
achievement of those objectives. Exactly. And we've got these lessons called World War One and World War Two, and you know, and Vietnam War and Korea War yeah. that we can now say to achieve political objective X, it costs this nation this amount of lives, this amount of dollars, this amount of resources, and have this consequence over decades. When we're looking at war now, do we want to do that again? You know what yeah. I mean? Could, could we possibly do that again? And it, it, it comes back to a quote that we heard during a lecture, where a lecturer just flat outright said, Australia could not suffer the losses it suffered in World War One societally. <laughs> as, a, as a society, we, we couldn't have trouble mobilising the population. I think uh, for those fans of deep history or ancient history, look at the Punic Wars versus the mm. Gallic Wars. So the Roman Wars of survival versus the Roman Wars of um, of domination That's and right. expansion. So what you'll see is that when they're fighting the Carthaginians, the you know, Rome was very much under threat and Roman life was very much affected by the wars. When they're expanding out towards Gaul, and, and mainly talking about off to the west, because Caesar's, Caesar's my homeboy. Um, west side, yep. It, it, that's, that's it. That's where it came from. Got that's it. where it came from. Um, it was actually Hitler wrote it. Hitler wrote it? No, Caesar wrote it. Caesar wrote it, yep. Same guy. Dictator, same dude. Um, but you look at it there, Roman society flourished, and a lot of Roman population didn't really feel the effects of the war. Okay, cool. so the, the next article uh, is called The Myth of Total War. This is by Donald Stoker. Don uh, Stoker. Donald Stoker. We found this on War on the Rocks, a great website. Uh, and Donald's argument is that, you know, when we classify war, we are muddying the waters. These definitions don't clarify. Um, and that, you know, total war and limited war are just these terms that confuse it. And I think old uh, Daniel Stoker would very much Donald like... Donald Stoker. Would very much like and hate this episode. I don't think he'd hate we're, it. Um, we're committing so much time to it. Don's a mate of mine. So he's a, he's a academic out of the, the Naval uh, War Academy, I think, uh, out at San Diego. Whichever naval, a US naval institution, academic institution is out in San Diego, that's where Don is. What? Um, and he's written a great book on Clausewitz, episode three of the Dead Prussian podcast. He's written a really good bio on Clausewitz. If you want to learn about Clausewitz the man, not necessarily um, the book his wife wrote. I remember that episode. Um, and you, you called up with some criticism after it. I remember that. You remember that. But I, I think you know Don's point is that if you keep trying to classify these wars, you're going to misunderstanding the character. Boom. that you're facing at the time. And here's another article that we'll quickly talk about. Uh, it is entitled "Everything You." think you know about limited war is wrong. All right, then. Well, we might as well just delete this episode. <laughs> uh, this was from... Where did we find this article? I can't not remember. Uh, it's War on the Rocks, man. Oh, sorry. War on the Rocks was this article. The one I mentioned before was from was the Strategy, Strategy Bridge. Bridge. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, my, my mistake. Yeah. Uh, and in this article, he's talking about what we spoke about in this episode, which is, let's start classifying war and link it to political objective. You know, And that is truly the classification of war yeah. and defines what type of war... Um, it's going to be, and it's all about the ends that you want to be sought. So, uh, a lot, and this is just the tip of the iceberg on the classifications at war. Google hybrid war, and then be prepared to be overwhelmed with the amount of people that are writing about this, quotation mark, new war that's about, yeah. which you could argue is, and which you could argue is not, in um, fact, No, new. you can only argue that it's not new. Okay, let's wrap it up. So, Mick. <laughs> yes. Back to where we started. Okay. Considering everything cool. we've discussed... My car, let's go back to my No, car. no, I can't fit in it. Considering Man. everything we've discussed... You need to clean your Let's car. get back to the question. Was Korea a total war? For whom? I love that you just said that. Continue. So, for the US. No, it was not a total war for the US. And the change in tactics and 
MacArthur's dismissal and Ridgeway's change in tact yep. highlights how for the US the different commanders had different perspectives on whether or not to use means. So we talked about nuclear weapons being limited in what I talked about in World War Two, right? Yep. And MacArthur also wanted to use nuclear weapons uh, perhaps to end um, parts of the Korean War. He also wanted to take the fight right to the Chinese. Yep. But the Korean War was not necessarily, well, depends at which level, at the very top superficial level, it was about North Koreans and South Koreans. That's right. Um, and the American government was like, hey, hey, Dougie, just... Dougie just, Mac. Just, just wind it back a bit because yep. taking the fight to the Chinese All so the way strongly to China. is going to take, is going to bring more of the Chinese into the fight. Well, is going to make it a total war. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. So, so for US and China, was it a total war? I think not. Uh, no. I think not. But let's keep it at the state level. For North Korea and South Korea, was it a total yes, war? Yes, well, North Korea initiated the war to destroy South Korea as a state. Exactly. So here we go. Four states, same war. Yeah. 50% of them, total war. And, and the Soviet advisors, was like a, a brief visit. Uh, I, I just imagine um, the Soviets are just rubbing their hands during this. <laughs> just yeah. like... Hey, send, send a few amazing. advisors. Make sure you take plenty of cases of vodka. Exactly. So at the state level, was this a total war? Depends who you ask. Yeah. Um, let's bring it down a level. For the soldier in that trench fighting either a Japanese, uh, sorry, either a Chinese or a, a, an American soldier, for them, is this a total war? Well, it was existential, wasn't it? <laughs> I would say yes. If, <laughs> if you were getting shot at. Even you, the Australians there. Yeah. It was purely. <laughs> it was a total war. And, and this is the thing about war. You know, depends on what scope you look at it, it is a completely different beast. The Americans sitting back at White House that are trying to, you know, make it a win but stop the spread of what China was trying to do. You know, it wasn't a total war for them, but for the American soldier that was fighting the Chinese at the battlefront, oh, it was a total war. And this is this, this is a strange dynamic about sort of the classification of this. Um, so is it important to classify war? Does it make it easier to understand it? Or as was said in one of the articles, are we just muddying the waters of what war is? I'll give my opinion and then I'll ask yeah. for yours. I think that classifying war is a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing to classify it and then be sort of dogmatic and sticking with this is this classification, therefore it must yeah. mean this. I think it's good to have these classifications to use as scopes. Because as we've done in this episode, if you classify something, you give it a certain scope. And that scope gives you a certain perspective from a certain viewpoint that will provide certain data. But I think the important thing is to then change that scope. As I've been saying, turn that map around, look at it from the same scope and sort of see, what, what does the opinion change? Does this war mean something different? And then change the scope. Look at this. Let's look at World War II. Look at World War II. Look at just the Pacific campaign from a Japanese perspective and an American perspective and ask, was it a total... And then say, this was a total war for both nations. Yes and no. This was a limited war for both nations. Yes and no. This was a hybrid war for both nations. Yes and no. This is, I think, a good tool and a good way to sort of critically analyze a piece of history and even you go know, project that thought into the future to really sort of look at this as a, as a whole breadth of situation rather than just focus on a narrow, this is this type of war and only this. I think it provides a sort of framework that you can really critically analyze something and, and get a lot out of it. What do you think? I think um, we're not going to avoid classifying war. Mm -hmm. I think it is... I mean, it's named after Clausewitz. Yeah. The classifying of war. The classifying of war. Anyway, um, as you said, it's useful for frameworks to understand and study wars. Uh, for those listeners out there who know that I hate the term hybrid war, it doesn't mean that I don't study it. I read everything I can find on exactly, hybrid war. Exactly, exactly. Because... When you are talking to people, not everyone will have the same perspective you have. Yep. You may be trying to, if you're in the military, advise or 
on a plan or tactics to a commander that understands different tactics and different operations based on their classification of different types of conflict. If you're a policymaker, you may need to explain to a politician who believes in a certain type of classification yep. of war. Yep. So like all words, words have power. Mm. Classifications of war, it's important to understand, whilst my man Don Stoker has a very good point, that classifying war limits our understanding. But there are not too many people in terms of the practitioners or decision makers around war who have time, motivation or understanding on how to read about the past 20,000 years of conflict from pre-state conflict to state conflict. And therefore their perspective on war is always going to be limited in terms of that breadth. By providing a classification of a war, a framework to discuss war, you're able to facilitate the decisions facilitate the training and practices and then like you said if you're able to understand that your classifications need reframing every now and then then you make sure that you don't become rigid in your understanding of war as a total so I think we can agree that the only person that's right to classify war was our old man Big Carl yeah it's because yeah, because he died and didn't publish his book and left a note. Oh, if I die before this book's published, uh, maybe I was never, wrong. <laughs> never say hybrid war. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the end of our episode. Look, guys and girls, I hope you enjoyed our... Uh, take on the classification of war. I hope you took something away. We try to provide all the answers but none <laughs> at the same time and uh, hopefully you uh, can continue that discussion uh, further off and abroad. But some good places to discuss this subject matter with us are our social media outlets. Yes, that's right. Um, we don't own them, though. We... Well, not yet. No. Um, you can check us out on Facebook, uh, War for Idiots page. Yes, yeah, it's a War for Idiots page, yeah. Uh, and on Twitter, you can uh, talk to us at at War Numeral for Idiots. Yeah. You can catch Mick. At Mick underscore Cook, and Rich is on... Rich... At Richie underscore T-T-T. As we speak, our merchandise continues to be for sale. <laughs> continues to be for sale, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kid you and, and tell you that the the merchandise is flying out the door because it's not, because um, we don't package it here. But feel free if you want a t-shirt or you want a coffee mug, yeah, or you want a different type of merchandise. Let us know. You'll oh. be amazed if you go to our store, zazzle.com.au, backslash or whatever slash they use on the internet. The underscore dead underscore Prussian. You will see the dead Prussian merchandise range is a little bit wider, mm. including the Reese Crawley special underwear. Mm. Um, if you want some of that merchandise in War for Idiots branding, yep. let us know. If it's the current T-shirts that aren't cool, they're actually very hip and trendy, yep. uh, then let us know. If you want a different type of coffee mug, we don't have travel mugs there. So if yep. you need travel mugs, let us know. We're happy to sell you whatever you want in terms of high-priced, high-quality stuff. If you're going to buy a mug... I would say buy one for coffee, buy one for tea. Um, don't mix. Yeah. That, that's called hybrid drinking. Uh, and it doesn't really exist. Well, let's not classify <laughs> Let's not classify drink, sorry. Um, but hey, guys and girls, hope you enjoyed it all. And until next time, uh, this is Rich. And this is Mick. And we are signing off. But remember, until next time... We may be idiots. But so might you. No, it's but so but are so you. But so maybe oh, you are. But maybe, maybe you so are what? War for Idiots is a TDP production. All opinions expressed by individuals on the podcast are those of the individual and not necessarily representative of any other organisation.
The music used during Wolf for Idiots is Fireworks by Jazam and is used under an attribution share alike 3.0 international license.